we do want to take a moment and welcome those here for the first time, those taking in service online. Let's celebrate them. If it is uh, your first time, I do want to highlight on your way out today, we got just a small gift. It's our way of saying thank you so much for worshiping with us and being here with us. We'd love to just hook you up, bless you with a little gift on your way out. Um, I, I think I've already queued us up with Matthew chapter 18. Um, we'll be getting there momentarily. I um, like to start with something funny, and I've realized it's funny to me. And uh, it may be funny to you, so no pressure, all right? But I just want to start with something funny, a little joke, a little joke, a little quick one for us today. Um, I heard about this lady that went shopping, somebody, with her husband. That's the joke. Y'all got it. That's good. Yeah, I'll save the rest for next week. Come on, man. All right. I heard, heard about this lady that was shopping with her husband. He asked her... Hey, here's the deal. Please, don't buy anything. No new clothes. Well, she saw this dress in the window and decided to try it on. He had gone for coffee. She wasn't, uh, he wasn't around as he had gone for some coffee. She tried on the dress and wouldn't you figure it, it fit perfectly. So she bought it in secret. We're hosting a marriage group tonight at our house. Uh, we're going to cover all that. A couple of days later, the husband discovered it, and he was so upset. He was so, he was so upset. And she explained to him that when she tried it on, it looked so good. That Satan tempted her to buy it, and she couldn't resist it. And he said, well, honey, we've been over this before. Why didn't you do what the scripture says and say, get behind me, Satan? She said, I did. And he told me it looked even better from a distance. <laughs> said, That's all right. That's all right. <laughs> all right. All right. It's all good. Only wasted two and a half minutes with the welcome and, and that joke. All right. All right. Hey, I'm, I'm excited today. We actually begin, we begin a journey um, together today, this Sunday. And the next several Sundays leading up to Easter. And before you, you panic on me and think, Easter, goodness, isn't that a long time away? No. Easter is next month, y'all. Just so happens to be the last day of March. So it's a great time to be prayerful, to be mindful of who you can invite and be thinking about, who you can invite to join us. We're going to have an incredible Easter Sunday service here at Hillside. And man, there's just something that happens in our community. It's like, People lean in again to God. And so if there's been a co-worker or a family member you've been praying for, I want to encourage you. Uh, be mindful, be prayerful, and be inviting somebody, okay? But before we get to Easter Sunday, which again is next month, we're going to take the next several Sundays to look at some significant, some significant statements that Jesus made. And all of these statements are statements from the cross, uh, recorded in our Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in the story of Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah. Um, in his most vulnerable moments, while he is on the cross, he makes seven significant statements. And so today and the next several Sundays, we'll be looking at those statements and their significance, how they, how they play a part, how they play a role in our lives. And it got me thinking a little bit about some famous last words. 
You know, what's interesting is some people, uh, maybe some history books you've studied or just, you know, with everything that's available now, all the information online, you can, you can begin to glean, glean <laughs> or not glean from some people's famous last words. But just a few for you here to get our mind thinking. Patriot Nathan Hale recorded with some of the most famous words. I only regret that I have but one life to give for my country. Hmm, pretty refreshing in some ways. Uh, and then his is, his is patriotic, kind of, kind of gives you that, that love for your country, love for sacrifice. Well, here's an obscure one by poet Emily Dixon. So the, the opposite, Emily Dickinson, sorry. I must go in. The fog is rising. Yeah, that landed how I thought it would land. Okay, good. Yes. That's kind of weird. Thank you, Emily. Entrepreneur P.T. Barnum. How are the receipts today at Madison Square Garden? Do you know anything about his, his life, his drivenness, his entrepreneur nature? Um, that, was, that was recorded by him. Missionary William Carey. Now, this is a wonderful one. Missionary William Carey said, When I'm gone, speak less of Dr. Carey and more of Dr. Carey's Savior. Isn't that a good one, everybody? That's a good one right there. That's what we want our lives to, 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 to reflect, to be said, isn't it? Well, in, in the scriptures, we, we don't have to wonder, we don't have to Google, we can dive in and see some significant statements that Jesus made. And Jesus, he did nothing but make significant statements, all right? But what we're going to take a moment and look at these next few Sundays is these, these words from the cross, call them last words or famous last words. Um, the first one we covered today uh, you're going to be fairly familiar with. Like, this isn't going to surprise you. This is uh, really um, the embodiment of who Jesus was. It didn't take him long in his ministry for the disciples to turn around and be like, what is this? Who is this man? And it was for some phrases that uh, he would make. And the one we're going to look at today is one um, I'm sure you're vaguely familiar with. It's, it's this. It's his first words. Of his last words. Moments before he would be placed upon the cross. Moments later, this is what he said. Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. I'm grateful for those words personally. I hope that you are too. There's been plenty of times I felt the <laughs> whisper of the Holy Spirit, forgive Paul. He didn't know what he was doing. But on a sincere note, Jesus seems to have made this first statement almost immediately after being lifted upon the cross. And it couldn't have been what anyone was expecting. I mean, take a moment, we'll list it out, but take a moment and just visit with me the previous 24 hours that Jesus had encountered, the previous 24 hours, moments, if you will, in his lifetime before, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What was going on? What was happening? Well, here's, here's just a, a, a brief list of some things. He was betrayed by one of his disciples for money. He was arrested by temple soldiers, interrogated by the high priest, 
tried with falsified evidence by the Jewish ruling council, denied by his most vocal supporter, Peter. He was beaten by some temple soldiers, questioned by the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, questioned by the ruler of Galilee, Herod Antipas, questioned a second time by Pilate, and then to add insult to injury, it started becoming quite physical rather rapidly. He was whipped by Roman soldiers, condemned to death by Pilate at the insistence of the locals, mocked by the Roman soldiers and crowned with thorns, forced to carry his cross to the place of execution, stripped, nailed to the cross, lifted in the air to hang from his nail-pierced hands and feet until he was dead. And his first of his last words, Father, forgive, for they know not what they're doing. I'm so grateful for those words over my life personally. And I'm grateful for the invitation that Jesus gives each one of us that claim to follow Christ. The statement's significant for what it means for us personally but also what it means for the world around us. That if you want to know anything about your heavenly father, he forgives you. He's a forgiving God. And we all rejoice at that point. But here's the other side. God forgives your enemies. He forgives the people you build walls to keep out in your life. And quite frankly, sometimes they're necessary walls. But never lose sight that Jesus still forgives the least of these, the ones who don't deserve it. Jesus is fully displaying the heart of our Heavenly Father towards us and to all of humanity since the beginning of history. There's, there's, a, there's a couple um, layers to this. First, there's, there's the historical context, like actual words said by Jesus, actual point in human history actually spoken over people he could physically see as Jesus of Nazareth, okay? He, he was declaring these. He was letting them off the hook, so to speak. His accusers, those that accused him, the very ones who drummed up the locals to get him condemned. Do you remember, Pilate was kind of reluctant. But the crowd got so loud, and he wanted to prevent a riot. So to appease the crowd, he gave Christ over. He gave the Messiah over to be crucified, to be beaten. I think, maybe not secretly, but I think in Roman rule and Roman law, Pilate and Herod, for that matter, were hoping that before the cross, Jesus would be dead. Many people wouldn't make it through or be able to physically endure what he encountered on the way to the cross, the whipping that would take place, the crown of thorns, the beating that he would endure. Many people wouldn't even make it that far. And I think they reluctantly gave him over. But here's Jesus, the first response, Father, forgive, for they know not what they do. The accusers, the betrayers, the political leaders, the soldiers themselves, Judas, one who was close, so close that he was one recorded as one of the collected 12, the closest of his disciples who betrayed him 
as you're perhaps familiar with that story. Went to the religious leaders, ratted him out, and then, you know the phrase, betrayed him with a kiss. Wow, it's remarkable. Remarkable. And here, Jesus, in context within the gospel, is accusing those very people. But something unique happened that I could promise you this. Rome never anticipated. Jesus rose again. They weren't planning on that. And they went to great lengths to intimidate and silence Jesus' closest followers, the disciples. And God didn't care. Because the Holy Spirit was at work. And these closest followers of Jesus began interpreting this event in a profound way. In fact, in our, uh, not the gospel, but the stories that follow in the book of Acts, we hear the first sermon preached by Peter himself. And he begins to frame what happened on the cross. Along with that, Paul Peter, the author of the book of Hebrews, they began to reflect, inspired by the very Spirit of God, as to the magnitude of what Jesus was doing. Like he wasn't just another person, you know, acting godlike. No, it was God Himself giving of Himself for all of humanity. You say, well, what do you mean? Let me, let me share what I mean in three. Three quick passages. So, so we'll look at Peter, we'll look at something Paul wrote, and then we'll look at something that the author of Hebrews wrote. Really, really kind of rapid fire here. But, but here's what Peter wrote, okay? Peter who denied Jesus, and then one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture, Jesus restores him. Peter gives this remarkable preaching. You know, it, I, the results are fair. 3,000 people come to Christ, you know, fair. A good, pretty good day. But Peter would go on to write to the early church, just writing a letter inspired by the Holy Spirit to pastor and encourage them. And here's how he framed it. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time on the cross. That, that Peter would say, your and my sins, 2,000 years later, in that moment, Christ was actually dying for all sins. In human history. All sins that were, that are, and that would be to come. He never sinned, but he died for sinners. I love the New Living Translation. To do what? To bring you safely home to God. That's God's end game. Come home. Well, how do I do it? Believe in Jesus. Well, what about my sin? He's got it covered. He died for sinners to bring you safely home. And then he suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. Rome, Rome never got that. They did not see this coming. They thought it was another uprising. So what do we do with uprisings? We squash them. We squelch them. You couldn't keep the son of God down. Here's another passage, okay? So we got 1 Peter 3.18. Look at Ephesians 2, 14 through 18. Paul, who was persecuting the church, Paul, who was, who was really killing Christians, followers of Jesus, Paul, responsible for that, encountered Christ, encountered Christ. 
and receive the mercy and the forgiveness. And here's what he said. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. There it is again, through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away. Amen. Peace to you who were near. Amen. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Rome wasn't getting it. They couldn't understand it. The Jewish leaders couldn't understand it. They were certain upon certain upon certain that the Messiah would come and he would lead a large army to take on and get out the Roman occupancy. It didn't happen that way. Jesus would enter in on Passion Week. He would come in the other entrance of Jerusalem, not riding a war horse, somebody, but riding a donkey. Like, let's just be honest. Who does that? And Jesus, they come in as the king of peace, the prince of peace, and willingly lay down his life. It's remarkable that Paul would record it this. And a little, a little deeper, a little richer, a little stronger nuance in the book of Hebrews, which is written predominantly to Jewish Doubters of the Messiah and those interested in the Messiah, but we're trying to connect all that's happening. The author of Hebrews would say, therefore, since we have a great high priest, Jesus in Hebrews is consistently referred to as the high priest. The high priest was the one who would mediate between God and the Jewish people. He would mediate in a way that he would lead the sacrifices. He would lead and the blood would be shed for their atonement. The, the author of Hebrews is continually, continuing leading them and giving them a vision to say, hey, that has been fulfilled. Well, how? In the great high priest, Christ Jesus. He didn't sacrifice others. He himself laid himself down on the cross. Here it is. Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time. Of need. First words. The first of Jesus' famous last words, if you will. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Remarkable. There will be seven statements we'll take a look at. This first one is significant. It's significant for you and I personally. Here's what the gospel is always asking. Here's what the gospel is always doing. It's an invitation. It's a proclamation to receive the love of God. 
Say receive with me. Three, two, one. Receive. Not earn. Not somehow strive towards in one's good works alone. No. To simply receive. It's the mystery of the cross. It's the mystery of the resurrection. That would you lean into the story of God. A heavenly father who loves you since creation of time, that he sees you, that he knows you, and that he wants to walk with you through this life and the next. And Jesus not only spoke the words, but his actions lined up with the kingdom he was revealing. That God's closest people, so to speak, had lost sight of the love and the nearness of God. The gospel asks us, are we ready to receive? Are we willing to receive? Have we lost sight of how much we need to receive his forgiveness? We'll bring up the word receive, defined, it's to take into one's possession. You ever, like we've got two daughters, you ever reluctantly see somebody give a gift? Our oldest daughter's often passing on gifts to our younger daughter. I mean, there's a little bit of stealing going on too, but we don't need to bring that up, okay? Every, every, sometimes there's sweaters that just don't fit Lily, our oldest anymore, and she just, you know, she's not reluctant. She's like, hey, you can have this, Emma. But when we get to makeup, man, it's a, it's a war. There's something else going on. Something I don't understand. But there are times where it just, it's like heaven invades earth. And they just are generous and just giving. But I'll notice every once in a while that the receiver is a little reluctant. They've got like tempered expectations. Like, Like, I know your capabilities as a 12-year-old, Emma would say, and there's a chance you get upset with me, you're going to take it back. You're going to take that back. Now, if it's edible, Emma's going to eat it real quick. There ain't no no take-backs. But you know, it can be tempting to operate that way with God. To somehow receive, but have tempered expectations. Like, I know it's supposed to work, and I know God loves me, but this 18-inch gap, uh, I'm just not so sure about all that. Like, he gets me now, but come on, I got dressed and came to church. What about that what about all of what that is receive receive practice daily receiving resting in the goodness of God he's not taking it back He's not going to change his mind. 
The blood of Jesus knows what it's signed up for on your behalf. And the earliest church would understand, and Paul sincerely would understand, Paul would be the one who said, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How are you recently at receiving the grace of God? Do you feel like he's able to forgive other people easier than you? One of the tricks I think of the accuser is he gets us going on this, what, I, what I've heard called, and I like to steal it, the inner critic. And the inner critic is often, often beating oneself down. And it gets comfortable. It gets comfortable in that skin. But can I tell you, you weren't created for that skin. Scripture is blatantly clear that for all those who have received, they are a new creation in Christ Jesus. We're not trying to disciple that old person. No. Paul would also say, they're dead. We've been raised to new life in Christ Jesus. But every once in a while, we've got to be really careful that we continue to posture our heart in a place of receptivity to the goodness of God. I remember when we were ministering in Florida, uh, one, of, one of my good friends, good friends, still a friend, but we moved, so we're not like good friends, but still a friend. He was there every single Sunday, faithful, attended, served, gave, invited his friends, but he was on the journey of recovery, somebody. God had done just just incredible move in his life. He's one of those. He got saved. The whole family got saved. When they were like, dude, you different. He's like, I know. This is crazy. And I'm not saying this is one year into that particular campus launch. I'm saying we were about five years into that particular campus launch. And he, uh, he buckled under some pressure, landed up taking some pills he never should have taken, kept it secret, sealed. But like every good man, there's a daughter or two, and his daughters, I'm just playing with you, but his daughters called him out. They were part of the church. They'd been saved and been set free and walking in wholeness. They knew he was off that morning. They confronted him about it. They talked to him about it. And guess what? God forgave him. Because God had forgiven him. And he came and kind of just talked, talked to us a little bit. We forgave him. He said, man... You're so engaged, stay so engaged, but take a breather for a moment. But we didn't take the older brother route and say, you know, take four years, get right with God. No, <laughs> we met him in that place, got him the help that he needed. And can I tell you, he received the mercy of God. We have to practice receiving the mercy of God. Like sometimes... I'm, I, I'm in recovery. I'm a self-righteous older brother in recovery. 
That's the danger to all of us who follow Jesus for a while. We get self-righteous, and we become like the older brother in the story of the prodigal. We're wondering about all these people. God's grace is so lavishly poured out. Well, just give them a minute. I got fair. I had Pharisee down pat, somebody. I was about to bring up the He Gets Us ad campaign. I'm not going to do it. I loved it, by the way. But you could tell an older brother by the He Gets Us campaign when they got all the list of reasons why it isn't wrong. And I love somebody who said, hey, if you think it's crazy, Jesus washing all those people's feet, wait till you read about what he did for them on the cross. He gets us. He meets us in that place. Forgives us. His mercy is poured out for all of us. Where was I? So, I needed to be refreshed, practicing, receiving the grace and the mercy of God. The early church began to frame this historical moment and put it in a human context, the story of God. Here's it is. The early church preached Jesus' death was for all humankind. The cross was a place, understand this, the temple was a place where heaven and earth met. But you can see distinctly in the way the early church framed it, the cross became a place where heaven and earth met. Earth in its natural state of hate and condemnation and accusation and blame. That's earth's natural state. Like me and my natural state. Just being transparent. I'm going to put Jesus on the cross. Like I'm going to love him. I'm going to be excited. He's going to feed me until my belly is full. I'm going to be so pumped up. And then when persecution comes, I'm like, the gospels. Well, uh, wasn't planning on this one. I'll see you in four days. It's, it's, it's so tempting that earth in our natural state is, is what? Condemnation, is accusation. But you know what happened on the cross? Earth responded in its natural state, but heaven responded in its natural state of love. That the cross is a place where heaven and earth meet. Here's the kicker. Paul comes along and he says, hey, don't you know? That you are the temple of the living God? Well, what do you mean by that? As your old man dies, heaven and earth are now here, and you're empowered by the Spirit. And what are you? You're loving others as Christ loved others. Even the supersized sinners, love them. Even the ones who should know better, love them. Even the ones who accuse you, betray you, gossip about you, love them. It's what God invites us into because as Matthew 18, I didn't tell you, I said 10 minutes before the message started. It's taking me 30. And we're going to speed it up. But Matthew 18 is for those that are in recovery from self-righteousness. These are some of the most troubling verses. Because here's what Jesus says. You received. You got to reciprocate. He said you receive it. Now you got to give it. 
So you receive it, shuts down the inner critic, shuts down the outer critic, shuts down all of the lies and the whispers from the enemy. And when your sin is so loud, it's consuming. And when you put on the cloak of shame, the blood of Jesus washes all that away. It saves you. Mercy, grace, as we repent of our sins and confess our hearts to God, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive. But then Jesus has to go on about Matthew 18 and go ahead and reveal the kingdom of heaven. As Peter prompted what I would call a very appropriate question. Jesus, I like to keep a record of wrongs. And I was just wondering, I'm really good at counting fish. I also happen to be exquisite in counting other people's wrongdoing. And I was just thinking, how many times am I supposed to forgive? Like, I'm not asking casually, like I need a number. And Jesus said, not seven times, which is seven, the number of wholeness, perfection, biblically speaking but 77 times. And here's the thing. Peter wasn't walking off like, yeah, 490. Got it. Good. We're good. No. Jesus is saying every time we forgive. And then he talks about this, this kingdom of heaven. He says the kingdom of heaven is like, or a better way of saying it, the kingdom of heaven is unlike Rome. It's unlike the Greek gods, the mythological creatures, the religious systems of your neighbors. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who went to somebody that owed him a squatillion dollar amount. That's a trillion times a squid. Squatillion amount <laughs> of dollars. And the guy came forward and said, look, there's just no way I can pay it. Please have mercy on me. And the king forgave him. They made a TikTok reel about it. It was viral. Amazing. They're thinking about making a Super Bowl ad. No, okay. So they received it. It was crazy. It was amazing. But then the guy who had received the mercy from the king, he was owed some debts from, a, from somebody lower, if you will, than him. And he went, and he grabbed him by the collars, screamed at him, let him know, you better pay this debt. And then he went farther, went to his house, got his wife and his kids, and put them in prison and said, until you pay this debt, they're going to be locked up. Well, the friends had some other friends who told on him. And so the king came forward and said, yo, 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 <laughs> guess what? You reap what you sow. I forgave you. Why are you locking everybody up? I forgave you. And the debt that you owed me was very, very large. And the debt that's been owed to you is minimal. There's a disconnect. In the kingdom of heaven, we have a father who honestly, it makes me uncomfortable at times, if I can just be transparent. He's very forgiving. 
to people I've judged, to people I've put on the outside, to people who don't measure up in my mind. And on my worst days, I write them off. Human nature. On my worst days, man, you're not measuring up. Maybe a little time in <laughs> the penitentiary of a judge's mind is where you need to stay. But praise be to God for sending us the Holy Spirit. As we lead into Easter, and as the global church participates in something called Lent, I wonder if God's wanting to draw us closer to his heart in this season. I wonder if God's inviting us to do some reflection this season at the people we've written off, at the people who haven't got it all together. I mean, my friend had been committed in recovery, saved, set free, going on mission trips, evangelizing. And I'm ready to judge him for a little slip up, which I'm not minimizing. Those you know who are in recovery, you know what those little slip ups mean. But that's how the king of heaven operates. Is that a heavenly father runs after his son. And there's no clipboard with the record of wrongs. Is the blood of Jesus marking out every one of those sins. I think God's going to minister to us these next few Sundays. You've got to be here. There's a chance I think God's going to mess with us too. And I pray that he messes with me first by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'd be okay. I'd be okay with having to expand I'd be okay with having to create another service. I'd be okay with having to enlarge our territory. Just so y'all know, I'd be okay if we chase down those that are far from God. If we pray and get on our knees and fast for those who don't measure up. If we keep knocking on the door of heaven, God, send revival, change hearts, and begin with me in Jesus' name. I'd be okay if it became an inconvenience on a Sunday morning. Because there are so many people touched by the love of the Heavenly Father that He is just wreaking havoc over all the lies, all the wrongs that the accuser is lining up against people. You know, one thing I've learned, I don't need to really step in and criticize anybody because they're probably already criticizing themselves enough. Maybe what they need is a word of life. Maybe what they need is a word of hope. Maybe what they need is me one more time saying, I don't get it, but God loves you like crazy. Maybe, maybe they need a word of encouragement, a word of forgiveness, a olive branch of peace as a symbolic gesture of the blood of Jesus. Amen? That Lord, we be a church loving, 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 loving. Freely, we've received. Freely. We give. Amen. So here's the deal. 
We're going to get something. They're not all going to be this loaded. They're not all going to be this heavy. Praise God. I don't know if I could handle it. They're not going to all mess with us this much. We're going to talk about paradise next, somebody. Y'all want to come there? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Hey, let's do something real quick. We can get a head start on next week. If you're unsure where you're going when you pass away, I'm going to jump ahead to next week. You want to hear Jesus? He gives you a lifeline. And he says, today, you can be with me in paradise. If that's you, would you pray with me? God, I need you. Father, I don't know why I came today, but I came. And I believe I'm here to get saved in this moment. Lord, I've been living lost. I've been living crippled by my sin and my sin cycles. And if I'm honest, Lord, I look at eternity and it's apart from you. I need the saving grace of Jesus. I need to live in the kingdom this pastor's been talking about. Lord, I'm so enraged towards myself. I'm so judging towards myself. God, if I'm honest, I hate myself. But here I am Sunday morning telling me again that I'm loved by you, that I'm forgiven, and all I have to do is receive. So God, this prayer, this moment, my heart receives. Just receive it now. You are forgiven in Jesus' name. All your past, all your sin, all your baggage wiped away by the blood of Jesus Christ. This moment, heaven invades earth and you are given a new name, the book of Revelation says. That you are given a place in heaven, a place in relationship, a place of healing, a place of wholeness. The journey is just starting. Stay connected to God and watch what he will do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.